Welcome, this is the Rheology Podcast. My name is Scott Johnson. I'm not a trained theologian, nor do I have degrees in theology or the Bible. I'm just a regular guy who loves and follows God, but wanted to know if there was more than what I was experiencing in the world of church. This podcast is the collection of a journey to go much deeper in the realm of faith. Rheology itself is the study of the do-over. It's founded on the philosophy and principle of stopping and thinking about why we're doing what we're doing, especially when it comes to what I know about God, Jesus, and ultimately what this all has to do with me. If you have listened to any of these episodes, today is going to be a bit different. I wanted to directly talk about a part of life that escapes no one. We all will go through it at some time in our life, maybe multiple times. This episode is dedicated to long-suffering, to the storms that crash into and over us, while living life here. I'm a father of two girls, and they're both older now, but one is a senior in high school, the other is a senior in college. It's kind of weird to have kids who end up being different. I don't know why that's such a shock to us parents. I mean, every human being is different. But I guess when we have kids, we just kind of imagine that they'll be very similar just because they're all part of the same family. My girls are similar in certain ways, but they're also very different in most ways. When they were younger, the differences were more obvious. Now, my oldest, she's always been very compliant. Not that she never got into any trouble, but if she did, all it really took was, you know, that serious daddy look or mommy look to kind of straighten things out. She never really got too close to trouble. My youngest, though, well... She was always drawn to trouble, to the edge of it. I don't keep a sharp lookout for her most time. And when she did get into trouble, and when she was called to the carpet for it, her reaction was, well, interesting to say the least. If I had scolded her in any way, she would go to her mother crying and saying, Daddy hurt my feelings. And my wife would ask, well, what happened? My youngest would then explain that when she had been caught doing the thing that she wasn't supposed to be doing, and after I had gotten on to her, that's when her feelings had been hurt. And we both kind of laughed at the idea that this kid didn't quite get it. The situation wasn't necessarily about her feelings. It was about the fact of her doing something that she wasn't supposed to be doing and that she was being corrected for it. But somehow she turned the situation around. She made it less about being disciplined and more about her feelings. Which I'm sure in her little head that felt just about right. But you know, it's a bit crazy to think of a situation like this. You have got two parts to it. You've got on one hand the authority. And on the other hand you have the non-authority. The authority is there to say yes or no or not right now. The rational way to look at it would be that the non-authority would and should respect the authority and his or her decisions. That would seem to be the natural response. But when the non-authority reacts in the opposite, of course that seems very non-natural and, well, downright crazy actually. Did my daughter have the right to have her feelings hurt? 
Some would adamantly say, no, no way, she's getting into trouble. It doesn't matter how she feels. Maybe feeling remorse, I can get that for what she did, but definitely her feelings should not be hurt. It's not about her. And then some might say, well, I get that, but maybe she just can't help the way that she feels. Maybe she's just a little sensitive. It's a weird situation and a situation that leads me to question things like this when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, he's the authority and we're the non-authority. When things in our lives maybe take a turn for the worse and we experience trouble or hard times, the question is, is it okay to be mad at God? It might seem a bit unnatural But can we truly help how we feel? In the Bible, there's a story of a guy named Job. And I would guess that most people in our country would at the very least know who he is and probably know somewhat of his story, I would think. And I'm sure that this story probably may not bring a whole lot of comfort to those who are experiencing troubles. I mean, the story is kind of old. It is, it's in the Bible, but it's in the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's thousands and thousands of years old. And I think that the overarching story, what's happened to Job here, might be a little bit hard to actually believe. It's not very believable. And we've got this guy. He's a good guy. And he has his whole family. He's got kids, his wife. He's got a livelihood. He's been very successful. There's a lot of animals and crops and that kind of stuff. And on the very same night, through some weird coincidences and situations, all of that is taken away. His children, who are having a party together, all die from a freak uh, natural disaster. His crops are all gone. His Livestock is all gone. I mean, literally in the same night, a servant comes into telling bad news, and right after that, another servant comes into telling bad news, and right after that, another servant comes into telling bad news. And all he has left is his wife. And I get it, that kind of seems a bit far fetched, all that stuff happening on the same night. But I think the idea of this story is very much a human one. One of the elements of the story that I don't think is hard to believe at all is actually found towards the middle of the book, after chapter 1, where we find out everything that happens to Job. Job's friends and even his wife are trying to reason with him. They're trying to basically help him understand, that, hey, mainly here, we got a situation where you, you've had to done something wrong in order to deserve all this. I think it's time to kind of confess it and move on. But in Job's heart, he knows that he has not done anything wrong. He's innocent. His friends and his wife, they give him all the wrong advice. And in that part, I think we can definitely believe that's believable. I'm sure, like me, you've probably had people in your life that give you advice during some difficult times. But that advice turned out to be the wrong advice. But the heart of the story the part that is super, super believable, in my opinion, lies in chapter 10. So after all this time, of the long suffering that Job's gone through, 
the people, the friends in his life, his wife, going back and forth. Job finally, his frustrations, they boil over. His emotions completely are out of the bag. And he finally turns to God with his complaints. In verse 8 of chapter 10, he says this to the Lord. He says, you formed me with your hands. You made me. Yet now you completely destroy me? He even goes as far as to say that God's motives and intentions, the very nature of God, is like, it's like a, a lion. That's, he, you know, God's like this lion waiting in the bushes. And he's watching Job. He's waiting for Job or anyone to kind of make him the one false move to make a mistake, to sin. And he's going to jump out of that, that bush and pounce on Job and, and go in for the kill. I think to myself, I've heard that analogy before somewhere. Basically, Job is calling God the devil. And needless to say, Job's frustration has turned to full-on anger. He's mad. He's more than mad. He's ticked. He's not only mad at the circumstances of his situation, but now his anger has turned toward God himself. In Job's perspective, it kind of looks like God is at the center. You know, he's the source of the trouble. That God is actually causing the pain, or at, or at the very least, perpetuating it, keeping it going. That's what long-suffering can do to a person. There are things in life that happen to every one of us. Things that cause stress, whether it's work, relationships, kids, financial stuff. Some of these, most of these are one-time occurrences or special situations. And most of the time, these stresses, they're short-lived and they turn around fairly quickly. But make no doubt, though, they, they can be very stressful and they're very not not a lot of fun to go through, of course. But long-suffering, on the other hand, it's more than just stressful. Long-sufferings are dangerous. Long-sufferings are typically a series of events that compound one another, lasting years even, where the hits just keep on coming and they don't seem to cease. And it's especially hard when you keep looking for those rays of light, those, those rays of hope. And you may see one that, that comes down and it seems to be the way out of your troubles. And you're thinking, yes, finally, this is it. This is the way out of my troubles. But it ends up being a dead end. It feels as if someone keeps putting weights on your shoulders. That there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no sense of direction. Or that a dark storm cloud is following you around everywhere you go. A good friend of mine who knows very well the experience of long-suffering, he describes it as treading water in the middle of the ocean. You're out there treading water, trying to stay above the waterline, and then the waves start getting choppy. And then the skies get dark. And then a storm starts, and then the storm turns into a full-on hurricane. All the time, you're trying to keep your head above that waterline. Actually, you're just even trying to keep your nose above the waterline. And all of this leads to a point of absolute desperation. 
Long-suffering is the true testing ground for faith, for what we truly believe about God and what we know of Him. When wave after wave crashes in, the question is, are you still left standing? Is your faith still intact? Max Lucado, through his book, In the Eye of the Storm, has this to say about long-suffering. He says, Maybe you're riding a storm, searching the coastline for a light, a glimmer of hope. You know that Jesus knows what you're going through, and you know that he's aware of your storm. But as hard as you look to find him, you just can't see him. Maybe your heart, like the disciples' hearts, has been hardened by unmet expectations. Your pleadings for help are salted with angry questions. The first section of this book spoke of stress. The second is about storms. Stress attacks your nerves. Storms attack your faith. Stress interrupts. Storms destroy. Stress comes like a siren. Storms come like a missile. Stress clouds the day. Storms usher in the night. The question of stress is, how can I cope? The question of storms is, where is God and why would he do this? These words, they're of true wisdom. These words actually came to me recently when I was experiencing my own long-suffering and actually I'm still in the middle of it. For years, things have seemed to just not go my way. One hit after another just keeps coming and coming. It becomes harder and harder to keep your head above that waterline. It gets harder and harder to keep hope alive. You know all of the right things to think about and you know all of the right things that you're supposed to do. You know that the Bible has a lot to say about things like this. When it says these things, it says, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Or not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings. Or, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Or in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then also, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Long sufferers, we know all of this. And we know we're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to consider it joy and be blessed. We just don't feel it. I've been taught over the years that Christians don't worry. They don't have anxiety. They shouldn't be down in the dumps. They should be happy and joyful. I think that's a real naive way to look at it especially in the light of this one fact, we're all still human beings. Even though I said yes to Jesus' calling years ago and that I'm trying to keep him in the center of my life, I'm still human. I've still got human DNA running all through this body of mine. Job's friends and his wife, they all had good points. Their advice was well-meaning. Unfortunately, it just didn't help him in the slightest. He knew everything that they were saying already. He knew it. 
He just didn't feel it. Instead of joy, he felt frustration. Instead of rejoicing, he mourned. Instead of feeling blessed, he felt cursed. He knew how he was supposed to feel, he just didn't. Instead of feeling hopeful, he felt lost. That all was lost. He felt like everything was soon coming to an end. And he even wished for it. For the very first time in my life, I recently felt that my faith was under attack. A storm was seeking to destroy everything that had been the foundation of who I am for the last 35 years. My faith. Faith is that bond between you and someone else, that bond of knowing. Knowing of someone in a much deeper and intimate way, like how you know your spouse, not just their favorite color or their favorite food, a much deeper knowing. And that only comes with time through the thick and thin. In this case, my knowing of God was under attack. In the midst of long suffering, yet another domino fell and it was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. The window from which I have viewed God for the, over the last 35 years was cracking and actually breaking right before my very eyes. It's not that he had changed, you know, at all, but that my view of him had. And I had come to a point where I was thinking in my head, this might be over. Like the breaking point of a marriage. Is this heading in the point of divorce, in the direction of divorce? Could this be it? And Job had those, those very same thoughts. He was at the breaking point as well. And for him, it was over. He was done. Chapter 10 was his final goodbye letter to God. All of the long-suffering he had experienced had finally come to this one point of his faith, of his knowing who God is and how he does what he does. It came under a full-on attack, a storm that came to destroy. For people like Job, who experienced long-suffering, all of the nice Christian phrases, popular sayings, and even scriptures, I hate to say, are just not much help when you're in the middle of the storm. The human side of us screams out for it to stop. When you think of some of the most popular sayings in modern Christianity referring to difficult times and those producing good results, you can probably quickly think of silver and iron. The silver example coming out of Proverbs refers to the process of purifying silver. Basically, you heat the crap out of silver. You get it so hot that the dross or the impurities in the silver, they separate themselves from the pure silver. That equals purification. The other example, iron, again from Proverbs refers to two pieces of iron blades forcefully being scraped against one another over and over and over so that eventually they, they both grind down the dull places on each other, sharpening each other. That's the result. We tend to focus on the outcome rather than the process. 
yes, you're going through something tough, but hey, you know, hang in there. You'll be a better person in the end. The ending is the goal, the positive outcome. But the process is completely glanced over. I, for me, I'm thinking to myself, am I even going to make it to the end? Have you ever been heated up to the point where impurities come dripping out of you? I think the closest thing we have as humans is a sauna. Its normal temperature is around 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And we only sit in there about five or six minutes to try to pull out some impurities in our sweat or body or whatever. How about taking that sauna and heating it up almost 10 times? And you've got the temperature to purify silver. That doesn't sound very refreshing to me. Have you ever been scraped against iron over and over and over forcefully just to get the dull points sharpened? That doesn't sound like a good time either. The saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, is only motivating to a small group of human beings, actually. The rest of us just want it to be over. Job did. Long-suffering, it ain't fun. It's actually an experience that will test you more than Navy SEAL training. It makes you second-guess yourself and your life and those around you and ultimately God. Long-suffering ushers in a killer that we know of as doubt. It sounds, it sounds completely unnatural to be mad at God because, I mean, he's the authority. When our view of God, of him being loving and good, starts to break because we're, you know, we're suffering and we feel alone, I'm guessing it's, it's probably only natural for our part as human beings to get frustrated, right? And, and mad, it honestly starts to seem a bit cruel that a loving God would allow hard times like these, especially if you're constantly crying out to him for help and for direction, but you don't seem to get any reply. Frustration and anger are just the beginning, though. It's not the end results. The end results is giving up totally, which is what we try to avoid at all costs, just completely throwing in the towel. We're just trying desperately to hold on somehow. To continue to keep our noses above the waterline as much as possible. That process is just not fun. It's downright exhausting. And it leaves us asking, God, where are you? The final turning point for Job, it wasn't, it wasn't him giving up. He did not give up. He didn't throw in the towel. He was right there ready to. His relationship with God did not come to an end. But the turning point for him was in chapter 38. If you read the book of Job, the conversation that he continues to have with his friends, you know, before chapter 10, it actually goes on. From chapters 11 to 37, he has this long back and forth conversation that probably lasted over, I don't know, years probably. And it can be a bit taxing to read that. I mean, that whole back and forth thing is, it's almost the poster child for long suffering in and of itself. But it is a good read and it's very relatable, that's for sure. 
from a human suffering point of view. But in chapter 38, God, who has been really quiet the whole time, finally responds. And some might say that God comes in and he puts the smack down on Job. That he rips into him and, he, and then he walks away as he drops the mic. I see it more as God giving Job perspective. The Lord is trying to remind Job of the other side of the coin. There are two stories here, two positions here, the authority and the non-authority. And this goes on for five chapters. God is reminding Job of what he knows about God. Remember, remember, Job, our relationship. Remember what you've come to know about me, who I am, how I do what I do. Remember the absolute very nature of who I am. And those five chapters has a great effect on Job. It, it, it achieves its purpose. It does force perspective. Job does get perspective. It's a gentle reminder that this world is full of trouble and that humans, us, very, very frail humans, we are going to experience it no matter what. But that those troubles, they don't come from God. God is with us even if we can't see him or hear him or feel him. And even if we feel like he has abandoned us, it's just not true. It's not the case. He's actually right here. And he's going through the long suffering with us. It saddens him to know that we're hurting, just like it did when Jesus was being crucified. It frustrates and angers God. He completely understands. He gets it. So after hearing from God, Job starts to see the bigger picture. His relationship with God goes even deeper. And then finally in chapter 42, verse 5, he states this. He says, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. That statement is a revelation statement. Job is saying that he thought he really knew God intimately before. But now, his faith, his knowing of God, has been taken to the next level. And that's what all this is really about anyway. Our experience of living life on this planet is really all about getting to know God and getting to know Him on a deeper and daily level. That's what going through long-suffering with him achieves. A deeper knowing of God. And then, in turn, of ourselves. You know, I'm hoping that God understands my frustration and anger. I really do. Seeing as he's the expert in human beings and he's in the people business, I'm really hoping he understands. I believe he's big enough to handle it. In fact, I'm sure that he is completely okay with me being mad, even if it's directed in his direction. That was kind of the point of sending Jesus, wasn't it? So that we have a God that really does get it. 
he completely understands what living life as a human on this planet is like. The Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the scripture that I quoted earlier, the one considering it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, well, he wrote in Romans, especially chapters 7 and 8, all about our sinful nature, that our human DNA wants to control our lives. But we want the Spirit to control it. We want God to control our lives. So, of course, that results in a bit of a tug of war back and forth, a battle for our soul. The human sinful nature, our DNA, fighting against God's spirit. And that continues over and over and over and over throughout our lives here. And the long-suffering, that is one of the main battlegrounds of this fight. Paul talks about joy, and he's able to compare long-suffering with joy mainly because of what he has seen as well. And he, like Job, he experienced long-suffering. I mean, he actually wrote down a long list in 2 Corinthians 11 of all the crazy stuff that he went through. None of it sounds like it was a party, that's for sure. I'm sure he was frustrated and possibly even got mad. I mean, he is human. But each time he reached the other side of his troubles, when he came out alive on the other side, still hanging on to God, he could look back and realize that those times brought him closer and closer with the Lord. Those hard times continued to deepen his relationship with the creator of the universe. And his feelings of frustration and anger, they eventually turned into joy. He could say, like Job, I have seen you with my own eyes. These victories over troubles were the direct result of who was at the very foundation of his life. When you read about foundations in Matthew 7 and Jesus is talking about sand and rock foundations to build your life upon, going through the long suffering kind of rewrites that script. You have, a, you have a greater understanding and appreciation of this illustration Jesus is trying to make. If you, listening to this today, are experiencing long suffering, and if you're still going through a storm right now, a storm that is out to destroy you, like me, I want to first of all say this, that yes, it sucks. It sucks and it's exhausting. And I get it. I'm right there with you. I'm ready to be on the other side of this thing. I'm sure you are too. So be frustrated and be mad. It's okay. But I would also like to encourage you to, to just hang on. Even when it feels like your relationship with God is heading toward a divorce, just hang on. Find some way to hang on. God has not left you. He has not deserted you. He's actually right there, even if you don't feel it. Hold on. Hold on to what you've come to know about God. This is the definition of faith, what you know to be true of him. Hold on to what is true, not what it feels like, because they're very rarely the same thing. And also one word of advice as well in the midst of all this, don't panic. I've come to find throughout difficult times in my life that making a decision in the midst of desperation is almost always the wrong decision. 
That's probably why the saying sleep on it is so true. Take some time to be mad. It's okay. Just don't dwell there. Find someone you can talk to. Trust me, you're not alone. You're not the only person who feels this way or has ever felt this way. Find someone who gets it, who you can share your struggles with, someone who can at the very least just listen. When that happened, it feels like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders just by talking to someone. And last thing, don't lose hope. Just hang on. On the Reology website, reologylife.com, there's a page called What's Next. That page has resources on it, and I've put some on there for going through the long suffering. Some books, articles, blogs, videos, etc. I hope that you can find something that gives you courage to continue to face the storm. Hang on, and don't worry about being mad at God. He's big enough to take it. He loves you, and he's working around you and in you to bring your life full circle. He is not out to get you, although it may seem that way at times. He's actually in the background of your life, paving a path toward joy. Mm -hmm.